0: You are listening to a sermon preached at the First Christian Church of St. Ignatius in St. Ignatius, Montana. For more information, you can visit us at www.firstchristiansti.org. Well, good morning, everyone, and we thank the musical team for sharing their talents and you singing your songs of praise. That's wonderful. Well, I I decided I'd wear something a little different than uh, just a sport jacket and a tie today. I I want to do something very traditional to any Filipino friends that are in the room. Oh, there's one back there. Uh, tallest guy in town. Okay, and uh, I do want you to know uh, I dressed especially for him because uh, if you're going to preach or teach in the Philippines, one of the things you need to wear is a barong. That's what this thing is called. Now, Normally, if uh, you use a, a long sleeve shirt, uh, that would be even more dignified than just this one. This was given to me by a class that I taught at uh, Manila Bible Seminary in the, in the Philippines, just in uh, Quezon City. And I, I just really appreciate that. And in two weeks, we're going to be with uh, some of our dearest friends, missionaries to uh, the Philippines. We're going to spend a week with them. So we're excited about that. So I just thinking Filipino today. I didn't wear the long sleeve one because it's very very thin, and you'd get to see my underwear. Okay, you uh, you you need to understand that. But uh, it is actually on me. Looks more like a blouse. So I didn't think that was even good either. But I just uh, want to thank you for understanding my. Thing, and I thought it would be something a little different. And if these little diamond shots should I do, this is my tie here, these things right here. So I'm okay, okay? We're, we're just fine. And did you notice? I guess I'm going to have to preach again today on the word whatever. Um, because did you see? What a friend. They just left the ever off. You know, it was a, So that's where we're going to head today. And I hope and pray that you're ready. This will be the last of my whatever messages. Because what we've done already is we talked about whatever you did, you did for me. That's what Jesus said that in Matthew 25. Whatever you did, you did it to me. And that is something we do. I think that's very important. Then last week we talked about if you're going to do the whatever thing, you got to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Well, there's an interesting passage of Scripture. Let me see if I can get this thing to work now today. See if we get this to come up. Any chance we've had, there we are. We need to do whatever pleases him. That's that's really an interesting thing. I actually believe that God does whatever he wants to do because it pleases him. So we're not the ones on this side, the only ones doing any pleasing to God. He does so many things, he'll do whatever to please us. Psalm 135 says, The Lord does whatever pleases Him. Wow. Let that dig into your heart and into your life today. Because you see, He always pleases us. The real question is do we please Him? It's very personal when we talk about things like that today. You see, our sovereign God is at work. Well, that's an interesting word, that. I, I've met more than one professing Christian who called against the, the, he, he rallied against the idea of God's sovereignty. He says, that word does not appear in the Bible. Well, I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, but in reality, the whole argument about the sovereignty of God can become quite laughable by the simple reason that uh, it really isn't in the King James Version. Neither is the word Trinity. I mean, we got lots of words that we use to describe things. But the concepts are certainly there. There's hardly a single page in our Bibles that fails to unveil the complete sovereignty of God over all that He has made. And just as an aside, other translations of the Bible really do use the word sovereign very frequently. One of the Hebrew names of God is El Elon, which means the Most High, or the Sovereign One. The Old Bible is a revelation of God in His supreme sovereignty. As you know, I'm a Canadian, living down here trying to help you out, you know. Uh, everything runs downhill, you see, that's what happens. But I want you to know we understand sovereignty because... We're part of the British Commonwealth in the old days. We're kings and queens, the sovereign leaders. So the word is not a fake one to us. It helps us understand that relationship. So let's think about what the word sovereignty really means. My my sense is, uh, I hit something that I shouldn't have. Okay, there we are. Sovereign God. You see, God does what he wants. Um, I think it says right down the bottom, when he wants to, the way he wants to, without having to ask anybody's permission. That's because he's God. He's sovereign God. He can do what he wants to do. By the way, the things that he does are very good. He, he does all of these things. And then it clearly says that God works together according to the counsel of his goodwill. That's in Ephesians 1.11. Psalm 115 states it this way, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Psalm 135 says, The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens, on the earth, in the seas, and all their depths. Because, you see, God is sovereign. He is in control. Now, if we, well, let's say if I was asked to show God's sovereignty by quoting only one verse of the Bible, I'd actually turn to the book of Romans. Because it very clearly states in there, for from Him and through Him and to Him all things to be in the glory, amen. Very simple, concise statement about the sovereignty of God. It comes from this passage of Scripture. You see, it says clearly, on the the depths and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For in from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now to say this simply, it would be something like this. The Lord does whatever pleases him. And I'm thankful for that, aren't you? He makes the right decisions. He provides the blessings that we need. He gives counsel and guiding to him. But did you notice the phrases? First of all, he said, everything is from him. Behind all of the schemes and all of the activities of mice and men, there stands this wonderful God called Yahweh in scripture. Sovereign and majestic. The regal splendor. All things are from him. He's the source of all things. Everything that was made, he made. All things come from him. But there's more. Everything also goes and comes through him. All things exist by his activity, through his sustaining power. How the world keeps spinning and the planets keep moving. Jesus revealed it very simply with a little illustration. Even if a little old sparrow falls to the ground, the Father notices that. Father understands that. That's Matthew 10, 29. And even when it comes to the most insignificant or trivial things of life, these things occur because of the Father's will. And then there's a third one, everything is to him. Not just from him, not just through him, but to him. He is the purpose of everything. All things exist for him. All things are to him. There's no purpose in life found outside of him. All things are from him. All things are through him. Everything is. To him. No wonder we could say, To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Now, if one of these is not true, then the whole thing's a sham. We would not be able to say, To him be glory forever, amen. If all these things are not from him, then there's no glory due to him. If things are not through him, there's no kind of praise or glorified and Standing before Him, sustaining everything. If things are not in Him, He's not to be glorified because He's not the purpose of anything. But because these things are true, from Him, through Him, and to Him, all of these things, it follows that to Him belongs the glory forever. We've told you on our trips down here from Kalispell that uh, we sing all the way down. We turn on the Enlightened channel on Sirius XM, and we just sing Sunday music all the way down. They got the old hymns. Some of them, we, we don't even need the words, you, know? you know, we, we know. We know all those things, and we get to sing and sing and sing. And I tell you, one today was holy, 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 Lord God almighty, who was and is, and, and songs of praise about him. Before long, you know, a little tears well up in your eyes and your throat gets a little sore, but the next song comes on and you're singing again. So, one and a half hours of singing and only two hours of preaching, and we'll be done, okay? Uh, God is really good. Well, when Paul had written these words of the supreme sovereignty of the Heavenly Father, he closed it with this wonderful word Amen. Amen. You know what that simply means? This is true. This is not a fable. This is the real deal. We often say, so be it. Amen. Do I hear one? Amen. I want to hear one. Come on. Amen. Amen. That's the good word. May I ask, when you encounter such words, what's the response of your heart? What's the response of your mind? See, the one who, anybody who embraces the Bible as the Word of God has no other alternative than to bow before his sovereign Lord because of who he is and humbly affirm, like the apostle did. Amen. Well, one of the songs we had, Come to the Trodes of David, Amen, Amen. Oh, man, I, they got going. There had to be ten... African Americans singing, I tell you, they were going at it. It was great. The Amen, Amen, over and over again. This is true. So be it. That's how we must live our lives. A God of power and glory and blessing. To Him be the glory. One more Amen. Amen. That's right. See, everything He does pleases Him. Oh. There's another part to this. Do we? I'm letting you ponder that a minute. Do we really please God? Or do we fail somewhere here? What does it mean to be a life that is pleasing to God? What does that mean in terms of our lives? If, if you're like most people, that simple question is going to leave you tongue-tied. I, I don't know what to say. I don't, know, I don't know what it means. It's likely you never thought about that question in such a simple form. What does it mean to live a life pleasing to God? I know what we would do. We would come up with a list. A list of all these external behaviors that we think is necessary so that we can say I'm pleasing to God. Um, let me give you lists, list certain experiences. Like how you got converted. Uh, the type of baptism by immersion. Um, Some experiences we've said in life, like how we believe God answered our prayers and and, and did these all these things. We believe the Holy Spirit guides and leads. And we talk about these experiences that happened to us. And they're good. I'm not putting any of that down. I'm just saying, isn't there more? How about this one? You can say, but I'm a good person. I don't drink, smoke, or chew, and I don't even go with girls who do. You know, I'm just basically a good guy. Oh my goodness! I don't smoke. I don't dance. I don't watch our rated movies. Oh, I don't even play cards. Amen. And boy, that wasn't got an amen on that one, boy. He must have lost last night. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Look, what about this one? The affirmation of certain theological litmus tests, you know, they used to have these litmus things, you changed the right color, you knew what was going on in your body or in your life. Like you might have some views about abortion, which is very common these days. You may have some interesting thoughts about the end times. You may have a certain stance on spiritual gifts. You might have some theology in your life that is so affirming to you. You even get picked out a translation of the Bible you like best. Certain theological things. that You can say, God, look, I'm doing it right. Look what I'm doing for you. What about what pleases him? Because you see, the fact of this is these are just externals. This is the outward kind of stuff. And if we were to stop for a moment and listen closely to what we are saying, we're saying the person who pleases God is the one who is most like me. See, I'm a preacher. So you all should live like what I tell you to do. Right, glad you coughed. You see, this is all because we want lives that please God. We certainly do. But we seem to seek to define pleasing God by our own experiences and by our own beliefs. And I want to try a better approach. Whoops, I I hit this thing too hard and I get in trouble, don't I? I want to try a better approach. Our our passage today is from Colossians uh, chapter 1. I especially want to just read these three verses. It's all for this purpose. We turn to the Apostle Paul to give us some ideas about what kind of life pleases God. What it looks like. And there are four characteristics that come out of this section of Scripture. And I just want to quickly go through all four in our message today. It's for this purpose. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Wow. How do we do that? Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might that he may, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I hope you caught all those. Bearing fruit, growing in knowledge, being strengthened in your Christian walk and in your daily life, and giving thanks. Give thanks. What a lo- wonderful list. Well, let's talk about each other. First of all, the life that pleases God bears fruit. I don't know what you think about that, but the idea of bearing fruit is not foreign to us. Let's say you go down to in Kalispell, it would be Hooper's, that's the best place to go, and pick up a little tree, a fruit tree, you plant it you take care of it. And as soon as August comes around this year, you've just planted it this spring, you expect some fruit. Good luck. Even if those little things begin to appear, you don't take care of that. You, You realize uh, after many years of waiting for fruit, it's still not producing fruit. I I know what I would do if I bought it at Hooper's. I would immediately pull that thing out of the ground and take it back and say, I want my money back, or I want a fruit bearing tree. It's supposed to bear fruit. I'm not sure you sold me a fruit tree at all. Well, so. The tree didn't live up to its advertising. I have one of those. Jesus used that phrase, you know, by their fruit, you shall recognize them, know them. How can you tell if somebody's a believer? By their fruit. How can you tell they're not a believer? By their fruit, or lack thereof. We tell by watching their lives. If there's not a change in their kind of living, then we conclude there's no change in their soul. Our heart and our lives go together like hand and glove. We're not, they're not separate. It's all part of me and you. But I want you to catch this. All fruitfulness takes time. It doesn't just happen. On a fruit tree, you don't get any good fruit the first year you plant the tree. It takes some time to mature. And the same is true with the followers of Jesus Christ. The change might not be immediately discernible. But however, over time, we should see some differences. Some depth to our spiritual walk. Some growth in our personal lives. And that's what uh, Paul said in Galatians chapter 5. This passage of scripture, it's it's kind of like a, a different translation, a new living translation. I'd like to read it from those words. I'd like you to hear these. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce those evil results. And there's a list in the Bible. Sexual Immorality, a terrible problem in our culture today. Impure thoughts, not deeds, thoughts. Eagerness for lustful pleasure. It's called pornography. Idolatry. Participation in demonic activities. Most of the cults that abound in our culture today, the seed of all of that is from Satan himself. Hostility, quarreling. I'm not talking about anybody at the ranch right now, okay? But think about it. Um, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. Division, oh man, it it just keeps going. The feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And look how he describes all this, and other kinds of sin. Don't tell me the Bible isn't readable. It's almost too understandable because it nails us every time. And so he repeats, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the word of the sovereign God who wants everything to please him. But when the Holy Spirit controls our life, praise God, we're not done. When the Holy Spirit controls our life, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. There's that list. Love. <laughs> Joy. Peace. This next one is tough for me. Patience. I don't know about you. Kindness. I like that. Goodness. I love that. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. That's what we ought to be. Gentleness. Oh, this one. Self-control. Tough. Here, there is no conflict with the law. When I look at that and think about that, I, I just understand there's a number of things that happen. When we live to please God, when the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us, we begin to see a change in our values. We begin to see a change in our behavior. Those living outside of marriage get married. By the way, I was just talking to a guy yesterday out in Columbia Falls, and I said, oh, you got a, you married? Yeah, not really. He said, we've been living together now for 21 years. I said, but you're not married, are you? No. He said, well, why, why not? Oh, I don't know. That's just the way, uh, that's the way our family lives. God, God honors marriage. Uh, maybe there's a businessman out there cheating others. Uh, when the Holy Spirit gets hold of you, get what? You'll begin to deal honestly. If you've been abusive in your speech, and some of you don't even realize the kind of words that come out of your mouth, you know, cursing and swearing and using God's name in vain, it's just become natural for a lot of people. And they don't even remember that they said that. But, you know, speech suddenly changes. Uh, I had to do this from my first job uh, in Washington State, which was of Pasquire panel products, and lunchtime would come. And I heard more cussing and swearing in that group of people. Finally, one day, I said, hey, I'm a preacher's kid, and I'm a believer in Jesus. And, you know, all those phrases you use about Jesus Christ offend me. I was just a young guy in Bible college. But you know what? A big old Mexican guy come up to me and put his arms around my shoulders and said, Alan, we need to clean up our talk, don't we? Amazing. And God will help you do that. You see, what changes will come to your behavior if you've been using others? We suddenly understand that's wrong. We need to be serving others. That sounds better. Uh, those who relish tearing down other people in their whispering now seek to build people up. Those who have hoarded their resources will begin investing their resources in the work of the Lord. Because when you suddenly get the Holy Spirit working alive in your life, fellow Christian, a change takes place. Oh, let it change, and that pleases God. How do we know if uh, this church is doing a good job? That's a fair question. It, 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 it's not how people behave when they're in the church building. Well, we're really good here, you know. We dress up, I see ties and coats and everybody's very nicely put together here today and we all gather. We oh, gather. We're really nice in church, have you noticed that? But that's not the whole story, that's just a, a little bit of time every week here. It's whether or not they're different in the day-to-day world. It's when you leave this place, when you deal with your family and the people you work for and the jobs that you do. The life that pleases God is one that glorifies God in our daily life. It's how we do our jobs. It's how we treat our coworkers. It's the tactics we use and, and won't use to make a profit. The way we handle our mistakes. The way we treat our families. The way husbands and wives treat each other. Wow. Behavior change, eh? The life that pleases God bears fruit. Hallelujah. Number two, the life that pleases God is one that yearns to know God better. Keep on growing in knowledge. That's seeking to know God better. Uh, Just to get more from God, is that it? Many of us are only concerned about how we can tap into God's resources. We want to know how do we get God to answer our prayers. Every one of them, please. Because I give them in real honesty. We want to know how to get God to meet our needs and to banish our problems. You know, if your children came to you only when they wanted something, would you feel they loved you? Hmm. If your children spend their time studying how they can get you to give them what they wanted, would you feel loved, parents? No, of course not. You would feel used. And I tell you, our culture today is really good at using people. When our concern is seeking to know God better, what'll happen is we're going to experience more of his blessing. See, sometimes I think it's just like this we're not loving God, we're using God. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Have you listened to your prayers lately? God, I need this, God, I need that. See, just growing in knowledge about God, well, we can spend all our time mastering information about him and not have a relationship with God. And what we're doing, we're substituting facts for a relationship. The life that pleases God is the one that yearns to know about him so that we can know God better. And I think this kind of a person reads the Bible not for factual information, but to discern the heart of God. I mean, your Bible reading will change if you'll do that. We look for direction, not just information. Their prayer is not totally consumed with requests. They take time to work on their relationship with God. On a personal note, I want to tell you, I am honored beyond words for the years that Judy and I have been able to share together. And what she brings to my life and to my, our family is she is a real prayer warrior. And it isn't gimme, give gimme, give gimme. Give she starts her prayers, and I'm humbled by it, with the attributes of God, thanking God for who he is, for what he has done what the Holy Spirit means. And so when we read the Word of God or we want to be taught anything, we want to know God better and I, my wife teaches me that. We're careful to make sure we're seeking truth and not just seeking ammunition to defend our own perceptions about God. I want to read the Bible because I want to know my heavenly Father better. He's the one who does whatever pleases him. And he can do that through me, maybe. Thirdly, the life that pleases God endures troubled times and is patient with difficult people. I shouldn't have put this in here because none of us have difficult people to live with, do we? Paul tells the Colossians that a life that pleases God is one that is being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. But notice the purpose of that power, it said this, having great endurance and patience. Oh. Word endurance or perseverance literally means to live under. It's The idea of uh, this whole idea of perseverance hanging in there. Wish I had the cats hanging on the clothesline. That would be a good illustration for us to see. It is a strength that helps us to endure the troubled times of life. The word for patience has reference to our dealing with difficult people. And it takes patience. Lots of it. And God will give us the strength to be patient. Because there are people who annoy us. <laughs> and disturb us and make us want to scream. Okay? I woke four of our people up there right there. That was good. So in hard times, doesn't do a whole lot of good go around complaining. Doesn't improve anything. I'll tell you a better word. Trust. You don't walk away. We listen. We try to learn what's going on. We don't despair, we hang in there. Being a preacher for a few years now, I want to tell you I had to learn that. God has a history of transforming people that I was willing to write off. What a lesson to learn. Number four. Yeah, number four doesn't matter I'll tell you what it is it's the life that the life that pleases God is a life lived gratefully can you move that ahead at all no I doesn't see to want to okay yeah, I know it's on there but uh, we'll just have to trust me in this okay giving joyful thanks to the father is how it says it gratefully gratitude I, I tell you what we're really good at <laughs> complaining Have you noticed that just about like come on that car that's just under the speed limit because we would never go over okay we would never go over we would just say but, but they won't get out of the way and it seemed like when I want to move to the they want to move and we're still oh it's so frustrating We complain about everything. Have you noticed this? The weather, the taxes, our income, today, the government, our food, slow service, traffic, crowds, stoplights. Do you get the idea? We're real good at it. Uh, By the way, it's modeled for us on Television, which we watch by the hour and let it sink in. You see, we seem to think if God really loved us, we would have less problems and more money and more stuff and more influence and less illness and more good times and less difficult times. Well, we tell God we're faithful and grateful. You know, as God looks down on us, I wonder if we please him with all of this attitude. I doubt it. An attitude of gratitude. How about that? An attitude of gratitude grows if we learn how to open our eyes to the blessings that we take for granted. When was the last time you thanked God for the breath that you breathe? Wow. Or the blue sky or the song of a robin. I see Neil and his wife here today. I uh, Part of the reason I left uh, North American and the college was health issue. Um, All my life I've had an irregular, very bad, irregular heartbeat. In fact, when I was uh, brought into this world I was abandoned and was Literally left to die, not fed, taken over by a lady who nursed me back to health, but through all my life I fought. First of all, it was severe atrial fibrillation, but I carried on and I am remember doing some services when I really shouldn't have been preaching at all. Then I got a, uh, a atrial fibrillation that goes into atrial flutter, which is really bad. I can remember sitting at home and counting my pulse and in one minute, 225 beats, 250 beats, and you're sweating like a pig. Oh, I praise God for two doctors, uh, some that helped me with pills, but the pills finally were not doing the job any longer, and I needed some heart activity inwardly. And so uh, a doctor in Kalispell. And he left town after doing me, and it, it lasted for a little while, but it didn't go. So I've had four ablations where they go up inside and they zap the, the triggers in your heart, the electronics of your heart. And I hope that when they zap, they sap the bad ones, because what happens, your heart basically starts to flutter, and another, the next little auricle or ventricle, whatever they call it, that they, they tries to counteract that and so creates a false signal. And you get a heart full of false signals and it just goes haywire. I had no energy. I'll be very honest with you, I have already said this even to Judy. Uh, there were days I thought I was going to die. Uh, because uh, well, there's a, a brother in Christ, Dr. Brunson in Kalispell, Montana. Young guy, third in his late 30s, and my heart specialist referred me to him. And Mr. Brunson, he didn't give up on me. He did the second one. Didn't last. Did the third one didn't last. They had me on the famous, uh, you know, paddles, you know, it's called uh, cardioversion. And you lay on a thing and they, you've seen them in the movie. I told I didn't want that. I've seen movies, what that looks like. And I don't want to flop around that much, okay? That didn't work. And finally, this doctor said, it only lasted two weeks, this one. And by the way, these are all like $75,000 a a trek. I'm getting close to a half a million dollar man. But he wouldn't give up. And he came to the bed and he said, uh, Alan, I know know where the problem is. I can get it. We gotta do it again. I can't. My insurance company's not gonna stand for another one of these. And I wanted to tell you this about this man. I don't know how he's going to do it, but you know what he said to me? I've never heard this from a medical doctor. Alan, if the insurance won't cover it, I'll take care of it. I want to fix you. So we went in and by George, he got it. Every doctor who's listened to me in the last couple of years has said, your heart's like a metronome. It's regular. It just beats, I beats like I never had it beat. I feel younger today than I've felt for the last 20 years. And I really praise God for Dr. Brunson. And I praise God for the knowledge. And I am grateful. I'm thrilled with the things that we're going to lead in the Holy Land tour this fall. Speaking and preaching and teaching and doing the things I love dearly. And uh, I want to just say, thank you, Lord. I want an attitude of gratitude in my life. I want to thank God for our move to Kalispell, Montana, where this could happen with a guy who cared about us. Do you thank God for your family? Do you thank God for the diversity that exists in your neighborhood where you might be able to talk to people and be honest about it? or of the trials that give you perspective in life. Don't you have gratitude when you see how wonderful Jesus is? Friends, I want you to catch it. Are you working to get better acquainted with him so that he can love you and you can love him more fully? Is the call to becoming a Christian just a bunch of words and mumbo jumbo? Wouldn't it be nice if someone could just point at us and say, now, what is it like to live a life pleasing to God? And you could tell them. In 1968, Judy and I moved to Hammond, Indiana. And I had the privilege of being in the Chicagoland area. And one of the teachers that was teaching at that time in Chicago was Carl Barth famous Swiss theologian, who by the way, died in 1968. He wrote with big words, (laughs) Uh, lots of concepts, uh, some of them very troublesome to me. But the story is told, I wasn't there. But I rechecked it on computer before coming to preach to you today that I don't want to tell something that's wrong, but the word is that on his deathbed, the news people of Chicago Tribune tried to get some, something for the religious page. Of all the teachings you've had, of all the knowledge you've had, of all the things, what, what is the most important thing to you from God's word? So we can put it in the paper. And you know what you did today? Without even talking about this, You sang the song, and this theologian with a mind like wow, his answer was this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So I want to tell you friends, everything that God does, he does to please us, and that pleases him. And I don't you ever forget that. I look at my life and my health today, and I say, God, thank you. And I think because I'm able to come down here and maybe preach a few times at St. Ignatian, I think that pleases him. Because, you see, whatever he does pleases him. Every one of us here. And you chose an interesting song for our closing song. I, I didn't even have any input in this. I'm get, it's getting me frustrated. They don't even ask me what songs they should. It's just the Holy Spirit must be doing this because he's picking the right ones. You know what the song we're going to sing is called? Change my heart, oh God. I think that's a challenge to every one of us. Could you sing it as a prayer to Him today? We'll get our musicians to come, let's stand. Let's let's get ready to think about God and His goodness. and, And remember, everything He does pleases Him. Whatever! Whatever! You know the things in your heart that need changing? You know the kind of... Experiences that you're going through in life. Have you got something to praise God for? Boy, I tell you, you really do. So let's, in our minds, eye, and our heart, ask him to make the right changes for us so we can be better, so that the world around us will be better. And all of this will please God. Father, would you bless us? And as we make this song our prayer, we're gonna sing it two times through. And we're asking you to do that for us today. And for those here who need to make a public decision like coming to give their life to Christ or be baptized or just grow in the grace and knowledge, maybe a recommitment of their life to Jesus. We can do it privately, we can do it publicly. Just ask. God, that you would touch lives and hearts. Thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.